Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Good morning. morning. Greetings from Brownsville Bible Chapel, Chapel in Pittsburgh, that's where we're from, and we're just thankful that we could be here this morning with all of you, celebrating, again, uh, the, the Lord's birth as we approach um, Christmas. And just want to thank the Bensons for finally inviting us up here to join him for a weekend. Uh, honestly, I think he's been inviting us for the past seven years, and it's just finally worked out to where we, we were able to come up and, and uh, share some time with them and, and to share a message from God's word with all of you. So this morning, I, and I, just the way I am, I don't think clearly sometimes, and I don't think ahead and pay attention to, you know, what might be going on around me. I know that, you know, we know Christmas, is, we know Halloween is near when we, we see Christmas trees and Christmas decorations in the stores, right? Um, but this, this morning's message is, you know, it's not so much, maybe it would have been better to give this message closer to the time of Easter, because we're going to look at some events of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this all kind of came about from uh, looking at my father's Bible, who he has since passed away and gone, to, be, gone to, to home to be with the Lord back in 2010. But I was looking, reading from his Bible one morning, and he kind of came across a little note that he had put in the margin of his Bible. And I just thought, well, I'm going to look into this a little more. I want to study this and kind of look into this. And it kind of took me down a path, a little bit of a journey, and it just was a real encouragement to my heart, and I just wanted to share some of the things that I discovered in my journey and looking at some of the things, some events that took place regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. So maybe as we approach the Christmas season, we can be mindful of what it ultimately led to, right? What the, the purpose for him coming, that hour for which he came. And so we're going to look at the letter G this morning. Now, I'm a school teacher. I teach high school down in Pennsylvania, and uh, you know, Pennsylvania, the students are not as bright as they are up here in New York. And so I teach 10th grade, and, and so we, you know, around this time, they've reached the letter G. And uh, so we wanted to share some things from that start with the letter G. So if you're thinking of three places, maybe you can think of them, uh, three places in the Lord's walk and in the final hours of his life leading to the cross. Think of three places that start with the letter G. Can anybody, and it would be kind of fun, right, to kind of go through the alphabet and think about all the different ways that we can praise the Lord. Maybe think of words that would be that uh, his attributes from each letter of the alphabet, right? Like even, now what, what, what would you think of in, with the letter G? Like what words could we used to proclaim? Yes, DJ. Oh, okay, so you already got the first place. That's great. So he's got the first place. What attributes of the Lord? Start with grace. Great, great. Glory. Glory, right? So we can go through the whole alphabet. Maybe we can come up with things. And we take up the entire time this morning, and I won't have to say, say too much, right? But, um, you know, we'll, maybe X might be a little bit hard, but maybe we can use the word excellent for that one. I know, you know, again, I'm from Pennsylvania. The schools are a little bit different down there than they are up here. But, yes, Gethsemane is the first place we'd like to look at this morning. So, I'm going to read this entire passage, and again, the Gethsemane is spoken of in all four Gospels. But we're going to read from, uh, from John here. So it says, then, I'm sorry, Matthew. Then Jesus 
came with them to the place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he said, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away, went away again a second time and prayed, saying, my father, if this cannot pass away, unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand that the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. So, an incredible account, right? And so, just to give some context, some background to this, this is right after the Passover dinner. Remember when he said to his disciples, I greatly desire to eat of this Passover with you. His earnest desire to eat the Passover with his disciples and establishing that new covenant with the bread and the wine, right? Knowing that just hours later he would be put into this turmoil and that he would be put upon the cross and that he would die in that manner, right? And so the disciples, again, they were, you know, coming with them to this garden where he had, or states that he had gone many times to pray in one of the other gospel accounts. And, you know, they're, they're, he, he asked them to stay awake, to stay alert, right? But keep in mind that they were, you know, coming from that meal, and so they were probably, their bellies were probably filled a little bit right. They were probably weary and their eyes were heavy, but he was calling on them to stay alert, to pay attention. And so just looking at the place, the, the place of Gethsemane, which is below the Mount of Olives, so there's an olive orchard on the, the, the mountain there, and below that was Gethsemane, and it was a garden, and in that garden there was an olive press. Right? And in fact, the word Gethsemane is kind of put together by like a wine press or a press. And the second part of that, the shemen, is the fat or the oil, speaking of like the olives, what the olives would produce when they were pressed. And so it's an incredible picture. And it's amazing, like, again, the Lord did everything with purpose, right? Everything with divine purpose. And in that garden where that olive press was, there's a grinding mill, right? So if you... You look at olives, olives are not like grapes where they're easily pressed and squeezed for their juices, for what's in them, right? And so the first thing that would have to happen is they would take all these olives and use this big, heavy millstone with a donkey or an animal to kind of pull it around, and the heavy weight of that stone would begin to press and, and crush and break the skin of the olives, right? And then they would take that as not yet produced much or any oil at this point, and again, what a picture of the Lord that, you know, he was, you know, he was split open for us, that he was pressed in this manner, right? So then, then they would take these, this, this kind of paste from the crushed olives 
and put them in these baskets, like these accordion-style baskets. And they would use these great weights of stone to push upon them and basically squeeze the olive oil out of them. And when the olive oil came out of these olives, it was usually done, as you can see in the picture in the, on the right there, that it was over a white stone. So this, this red olive oil would be coming, being squeezed out of these baskets by the tremendous pressure of the stones. And what a contrast in that picture of that as the red olive oil, like a picture of the Lord's blood against the, like the purity, the white stone, and what a contrast and a picture that is of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then um, that oil, as it kind of followed through a trough or a path and being exposed and kind of oxidized in the air, would ultimately turn, in, turn to a greenish-golden color. And so an incredible, just an imagery of that press. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ, as it says, when he was in the garden, it says in Luke 22, now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthened him, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And so that imagery, uh, a tremendous stress that he was under, and Gethsemane being at the base of the mountain in a lowly place, near the, the valley of Kadron. And even that valley, there was a little stream or brook that, where many have said that the sacrifices, the many animals and the sacrifices and the blood from the temple would actually work its way down in that, that stream and run past. And here the Lord was being pressed. Now why? Just think and contemplate for a moment. What was he going through? What was the anguish that he would be, be to the point of death? in this garden as he prayed to his father, and that would, he would need that comfort and strengthening by, the na- by an angel in that garden. He was, and it just reminds me of Isaiah 53. He was crushed, crushed for our iniquities. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew. So what was ahead of them that would cause him to fall into this state of fervent prayer and, and asking the Lord if there's any other way, if there's any other way, Please let, let there be another way. But if not, let thou will be done. And so he was crushed and pressed in the garden with this tremendous thing. And there is a, a condition. I'm not a doctor. I may pretend to be it sometimes at school and stuff. But hematidrosis, if I'm saying that correctly, intense metal, mental contemplation, acute fear, condition in which the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood. So tremendous pressure and just thinking about what he was about to go through for us. And what's really interesting to me and and like going down this path and researching this a little bit, and that's, you know, the wonderful thing and the work that's been done by archaeologists and others in extra biblical texts that kind of speak of how these things work and operate. It turns out that the press occurred three times. The first press the oil that came out of the first press within the olive press was for anointing. It was for the use of anointing kings and priests. And we think of, you know, in the, the history of the, the scriptures, how Moses anointed Aaron and how Samuel anointed David and Zadok the priest anointed Solomon. It would, would have been from this fresh squeeze of oil from, olive, from the olives that would, been, would have been used for that anointing. And then, you know, what does the scripture say for us in First in Peter 2.9? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And so he anointed us with the oil, with his, his, his death, with this suffering. And again, the suffering began in the garden. The agony and the suffering began in the garden. And so then there's a second press, and that was for the people. It could be used for uh, food or medicinal purposes. There's tremendous benefits. We all know today of the tremendous benefits of olive oil and this type of oil in cooking and medicine. I think of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, who used some, which would have been like an olive oil to help uh, healing the wounds of the man along the road, right? And so it has great purpose and use. And so that would have been the second press. And then they would have taken it again and put more weight on it. And then the third press, the oil that would have come forth from the third press, would have been used for lighting lamps. And what a tremendous picture there. How many times did the Lord go back and pray? He went back three times. He went under this incredible stress and, and this pressure and prayed fervently to the Lord to the point of death to where blood was coming out of his sweat glands three times. And he kept coming back to his disciples and saying, you know, you're, you have fallen asleep. You're asleep again, right? During this hour, you could not stay awake for one hour, right? So we see this picture in the olive press, and again, the divine purpose of the Lord and how he uses these things that they would have understood, and sometimes they have been, they've, they've been lost for us, but um, we, when we find out and these things are revealed to us to what actually took place in that garden, and here the Lord was it was just a symbol and a picture of what the Lord was going through in his distress, knowing that his time was near. And so we see this in uh, Exodus 27, 20 to 21, the, the use of the oil. You shall change, charge the sons of Israel that they may bring you clear oil, beaten olives. It had to be beaten out of the olives, pressed out of the olives for light to make a lamp burn continually, Right? So may we kind of taste that suffering that he went through. Maybe we, maybe we would have the same anguish for the lost souls, for those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. May we have a taste of that anguish and have that burden. Because it was, it was the, the bitter hours of Gethsemane that have removed the bitters of life from us. But may we also have that anguish, that desire to see lost souls come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one other interesting thing regarding this area, and this would kind of be a separate uh, study in itself, would be the three mountains that were on the east side of Jerusalem. So there was Mount Scopus, which was sort of northern, and then there was Mount of Olives, which is where Gethsemane is located and, and what took place there, the valley, and then the Mount of Offense or Corruption, right? And so um, the... Let's start with Mount of Offense or Corruption. That was a place where Solomon had set up some t uh, idols for his Amorite and Mo Moabite wives. And so it's referred to the Mount of Corruption because of what took place there with King Solomon. But above that, so the Mount of Olives, and again, we know that the Lord, when he returns, is going to return to the Mount of Olives. And so north of that is Mount Scopus, which uh, simply means Mount of Watchmen. And what was he telling his disciples while he was undergoing this tremendous pressure in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? That to be on watch, to be on alert, take the high ground and be on alert so that you may not fall into temptation. 
you know, as Christians, we do not want to fall and, and find our place on Mount of Offense or Mount Corruption. We want to be on that high ground. And there's this tremendous picture, I mean, this view. And if I were to be on earth when the Lord returns, this is where I would want to be. Watching from Mount Scopus, being able to see the Lord descend upon Mount of Olives when he returns, right? And so, you know, again, we think of that, that event that took place when in the Garden of Gethsemane, and again, the, the disciples that were there falling asleep, falling asleep three times, and the hour was in hands, that that was the time when Judas, with the Roman cohorts, right, and the high priest would come and arrest the Lord Jesus. And he knew that they were coming. There was an area where the valley there would have, they would have seen them coming with their torches and their, the crowd from 20, 20, 30 minutes away, giving them plenty of time to escape if they really wanted to escape because they would be able to see them coming all the way across that valley. And so, but the Lord had a purpose in me. His hour had come. And so when they arrived, he says, whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? And they see Jesus of Nazareth. And when he says, I am he, they all fell backwards to the ground. Again, just demonstrating his power and that they had no authority, no control over him. He was willingly giving himself up because he had prayed three times and there was no other way. There was no other way for him to redeem us back to himself. So praise the Lord that he allowed himself to be arrested. And so from there, where did he go next? Gabbatha. Gabbatha, that's right. So from Gethsemane, he was then taken to Gabbatha, right? And so let's read a little passage regarding Gabbatha in John chapter 19. It's only mentioned once, that term, it's only mentioned once. I mean, there's multiple accounts of what took place there at Gabbatha, which is the praetorium of the, of the governor, Pilate, at the time. But in verse 13 of John chapter 19, it says, Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was... The day of the preparation of the Passover was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So what incredible thing that took place there. Now this was after the Lord before the, the high priests, they knew they had no authority in the land to execute the Lord Jesus, so they had to bring him to the Roman governor because they had no authority in their own land to do such a thing. So that's why he ended up here before Pilate. And, and, and when, we, when we look at the event here, and this is a kind of a picture where they think that most likely the area would have been where the crowd would have gathered up below this, this wall here and we're going to look at some pictures kind of illustrating some of the things that would have, would have been back in those days. But they themselves would not, in John 18, says they would not enter the praetorium. They would not enter into the courtyard of this area for the governor uh, in King Herod's palace because of the idols that were in uh, those, the area. That they would be brazen uh, statues and idols that were of Roman, Roman gods. And they did not want to defile themselves before the Passover, yet they were bringing the very Lamb of God to the Roman authority to have him executed. 
we have no king but Caesar. And there he was placed before Pilate. And so when we look at this area, this, there's a kind of an animation, a picture of what Jerusalem was considered to look like back in the days based on some archaeological evidence. And you can see there's two main areas that kind of stand out in the city of Jerusalem. You have the temple, which is in the, kind of the northeast side of the city, and then you have this area, the next big large main structure would have been Herod's palace and this governor courtyard, which you can see is walled and isolated from Jerusalem for protection, and he even had an escape gate that if anything happened, there was insurrection or something like that, that would, uh, where he would fear his life, he'd be able to escape outside of that gate. So kind of zooming in on this a little bit, we can see that that area down below, so you'd have the building to the right would be where the Roman cohort, the Praetorian Guard would be. So it'd be lots of Roman soldiers there, obviously, uh, near the palace, just to, for protection's sake, for a, a, you know, a, a show of power and protection. And then you have the palace itself, but remember, the people would not enter uh, uh, the high priest and the, the people bringing the, the Lord Jesus to Pilate would not enter in that courtyard because of the idols in it. Bless you. So then, kind of zooming on this area, so, and you can see, well, I'm gonna show you a picture in a second. So the steps there leading up to this gate, which they have found in this wall, which was for until like 1960, maybe early 1970s, was completely buried in dirt. They, were, they found a remnant of a gate that would be present there and some other remnants of a wall, and so, you can kind of see, and if you look through John 18 and 19, there are many times where it says that Pilate kind of came in and out, came out to the people to speak to the people, then he went back in to question the Lord Jesus, and then he would come out again, and because you know he was distressed himself because his wife had told him not, not to have anything to do with this man, right? But he was being pressed by the people, and he was worried about an, an uprising and all these things that we know that took place, and you can kind of see the gate that leads into the courtyard, so he would go into the to where the Lord Jesus was and had, where he had him summoned, and then he would bring him back. But it was on the top left of this little platform there, to the top left, you can probably see it. In this area right here, there was a bema seat, a judgment seat. And as the passage we had just read, that's where the Lord Jesus would have been brought up to and judged by Pilate and sentenced to be crucified. But he would have been scourged in, in the places where the Roman soldiers would have kind of tormented him and mocked him and put a robe upon him and a crown of thorns all would have taken place somewhere in this courtyard or possibly even in the Praetorian Guard building. So today, this is what it looks like here. And so again, there's right here, there's remnants. Again, the, you can see the difference between the colors of the stone. The dirt was all the way up to this region up here and they found this gate, the steps, steps that would lead up to this gate, and Pilate would have been going in and out of the courtyard to this place, standing above the people, speaking to the people, and this is where the crowd would have gathered and cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And so a picture, just an animation of the picture of what it might have looked like, would have been something like this. Imagine that this very one who would be judged himself someday by the Lord. Just think about that. The Bema seat. Now we know that the judgment seat of Christ is different from the great white throne, but this one, and remember the, some of the dialogue that took place between Pilate and the Lord. He says, don't, don't you realize I have the authority and the power to, to sentence you to death? 
And the Lord says, you would not have that power unless it was given to you from above. Right? And so today, this is sort of what it looks like, and it's kind of amazing, but there's a parking lot over that courtyard and where, the, um, where our Lord may have been scourged and mocked and abused, right? And then you can see he, they would have, in the next part, when they led him out to be crucified, they would have come out of this gate and kind of taken him up here to the next place. But before that, um, in Mark 15, let's just read this little uh, passage. It says, Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed them over to be crucified. The soldiers took him away into the, the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole, the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews. They kept beating his head with a reed and splitting, uh, spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him and put him, his own garments on him, and they led him out to be crucified. So this praetorium here, this area between the wall, on the other side of that wall, they found this, there is this opening, which again, Pilate would have been going back and forth, and even possibly in that area, the Lord would have been scourged. And we know that by his stripes, we are healed. And you can see there's, they found evidence, even we, we know the account of the soldiers, how they, would, they were casting lots for his garments and things of that nature, and they found these kind of carvings in the pavement of the stone that would indicate some type of game or thing that they would, they would play, like with these, these criminals. And so Jesus was treated as a common criminal and rejected by his own people. And it's interesting to note that Barabbas, who Pilate was trying to release for them, Barabbas means the son of the father. And here the son of the father, who was a criminal, an insurrectionist, who was a murderer and a thief, was the one that was released, and the son of the eternal father was placed there. And I know this morning in our Lord's Remembrance Meeting how important that was to understand that there was a personal relationship. It was the son and his father. The son and his father. And the father gave up his son for us. And then so ultimately after he was scourged and uh, the cross was put, up, put upon him and he, he bore his own cross, they would have taken him out that, outside of that gate. DJ? Next place? Golgotha. Very good. Maybe you should come up. So from Gabbatha to Golgotha. Right, so let's read John 19, 16 through 19. So he then handed him over to be crucified. They took Jesus therefore and went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him with him, two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put on the cross. It, is, it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Now Golgotha is a kind of an really interesting place. You can see the the kind of the picture of the skull right within the the hillside and the result of that the reason that it looked like that was that the rock prior to that in the mounts prior to that that skull was all a quarry. So it was all the stone that would have been used to make and build the temple. 
And so they used the stone, the hard stone and the good stone, to build the temple. And when they reached a point in their digging in the quarry, it came to a point where the, so the, stone, be the stone became too soft to use in building and structure. And so after they were finished and they, were, they had extracted the stone that they needed from this area, that was the result, this picture of the skull. And we know that upon that hill is where our Lord was crucified, right? And we think of that, even that statement that in prophesied in Genesis that he would crush the head of the serpent, right? Crush his skull and his foot or his heel would be bruised. And here he was crucified upon this. The imagery here is just amazing that the Lord Jesus Christ was, you know, with common thieves was crucified upon this hill. And what's even more amazing to me is that we know the account of Abraham and Isaac, right? So Golgotha was part of a mountain called Mount Moriah. And if we go back and look at the account, and we're not going to read through the whole thing for the sake of time, but Abraham, you know, the Lord told Abraham, take your son, your only son, and we know the picture, the imagery there, the, the father taking out his son and offering him up. Right? And he said, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. And the Lord was very specific. God the Father was very specific to where he was to offer up his son Isaac. Very specific. And extra biblical text would suggest that, that um, Solomon's temple, when they built Solomon's temple, that they built it specifically in the, in the place where they believed that Abraham was about to offer up Isaac. So in the very place, and it totally makes sense to me because even the Lord Jesus' birth as we approach Christmas was born in the very place that the Passover lamb is born. Among the shepherds, remember the shepherds on the hillside, and they were visited by an angel and said, when you go to the manger and you see a, a, a child wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in the manger, the very place that they would have laid, they would have taken that perfect lamb, the lamb that was to be the Passover lamb, wrapped him in swaddling clothes so that it would protect itself, and laid them in the very spot that when the shepherds came and saw that that child was laying in the very place that the, the chosen lamb of God would be, they understood exactly what that meant. They understood exactly what the purpose of that child would be. That was the lamb of God. That question that Isaac asked his father that lasted for generations. Father, I see, behold, I see the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb? Where is the, the offering? And what did Abraham say to him? God will provide for himself a lamb. And then when John the Baptist baptized the Lord Jesus, what did he say? Behold, the lamb of God. He answered Isaac's question. For centuries later, behold, the lamb of God, that God will provide for himself a lamb. So the, the very fact that the Lord Jesus was laid in the place where the Passover lamb would be. And here we see that the, the Lord was crucified in the very place that Abraham would have been offering up Isaac to be sacrificed. So what a tremendous, again, the picture and the divine purpose of the Lord and his work in symbolism and in locations we see throughout Scripture. Just confirming exactly who he is. So, and as the scriptures say, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, and you have not come to know him, 
but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar to you. Or I'll be like, I'm sorry, be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. And what did he say? Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And so going back to that passage in verse 6, Abraham, I'm sorry, um, Abraham took the, lost my place, sorry. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. So he saw the place where he was to offer up Isaac, his son. At the same time, he saw the day in the future where the, the Father, God of heaven, would offer up his son. For God will provide himself a lamb. So here it is today, that Golgotha, you can see another, how things have developed and things have changed. But here is another parking lot, a bus terminal below the hill of Golgotha. Now some suggest that he may have been crucified below, in front of Golgotha. But I tend to believe just from a scriptural account and other uh, Josephus and others that it was probably up on top of that mount. Very visible, and this is a, very, this is a kind of a crossroads where lots of people would have been traveled to the Romans, always wanted to make examples out of those who offended the law, right? Who were criminals. They always wanted to make an example out of them, so they would all place them in a very visible spot where a multitude of people would see them. And so I believe it to be on top. And what's kind of more amazing is from this viewpoint, if you stand upon this hill upon Golgotha, you look down at the temple itself. And what did the Lord Jesus Christ say? That in three days I will destroy this temple. I will will destroy this temple and I will raise it up three days later. And so here he is, the the very one that the temple represents, the very one who's a picture, where the temple pictures the Lord Jesus Christ, where he claimed to be the temple, where he was being crucified and where he cried out, it is finished, where he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was looking down, he had a view of the very temple that represented him. And it was his own people that were turning him over to be crucified. You know, when the people of Israel said to Pilate, and they they were crying for him to be crucified, and Pilate was sort of washing his hands clean, what did they say? May his blood be on us and our children. And we think about the turmoil of Israel today. We can't help but think what's going on in our world and help to think about what's taking place in that, in that little small area of land, right? And the turmoil that's taking place and how pro- prophecy is being once again fulfilled in our very day. We're getting excited, aren't we? It's near. He's very near. And so the Lord in, would have had view of his temple. Today we see the Dome of the Rock, right? But very soon... I believe that temple will be rebuilt again, right? And they're ready. They have everything they need to put it up in a very quick manner. Within a couple of weeks, they could probably build it. They have all the artifacts. Some believe they have all the stones. Everything's cut. Everything's ready to go. They'll be able to construct it in a very, very short time. Did you see on the news just recently that they have the red heifer? They had several red heifers that were shipped over from Texas all the way to Israel. Things are happening. The Lord is near. So from Golgotha, 
So my, my dad's little notes that he had, my dad's notes in his Bible, only spoke of those three places. But I started thinking about it more, and in this kind of this journey that the Lord has taken me on, takes me to the next place. Where, where's that? Galilee. Galilee. Not quite. After that, the grave, from Golgotha to the grave, right? So in John 19, 40 to 42, so they took the body of Jesus and bound him, bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as in the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they led Jesus there. Remember that song this morning, show me, take me to the tomb. I can't remember the words. Lead me to the Calvary, but take me to the tomb. Show me the tomb where he was laid, right? Show me the empty, I'm terrible at this. Whatever it was, I know that both two verses there spoke of going, show me the tomb. Lord, show us the tomb. So in faith, show us the tomb. And some would argue, so there's some debate about this. And so in Israel, there's two, kind of pla- there's two places basically where they believe that the tomb of Jesus was. One is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. But to me, that one doesn't make too much sense to the location because what did the scripture say? The tomb was very near. It was very near where he was crucified. In this particular tomb, the, the garden, uh, the tomb of the garden, I think that's what it's referred to as today. But the tomb here that they've excavated and discovered was literally only about 300 feet, a football field length from Golgotha. So I, I believe, because of the word that was spoken here, that the tomb was very near, that I believe that this may have been, may have been the tomb where Jesus was laid. But I tell you what, whether you go to the Holy Sepulchre, or you go to this tomb, or you find any other tomb that we may find or conclude that was the tomb of the Lord Jesus, I'll tell you one thing, he will not be there. He was resurrected. He declared that he was, the, in Romans 1.4, he declared that he was the Son of God with power, by the resurrection of him from the dead. That's what declared him at his sonship. That's what declared that he was the son of the eternal father. The power of his resurrection. It's his resurrection that declared him to be the son. And so this empty tomb may have been the place where Jesus was laid. Right? Show me the tomb. But in faith, it doesn't matter whether it was this tomb or another tomb. In faith, we see an empty tomb. And so that gives us incredible encouragement and hope. And may we just be empowered by the power of his resurrection, right? To proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, proclaim his death, and to proclaim his resurrection. So from the grave to glory, right? From the grave to glory. And after he said these things, he was lifted up. When they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their, their sight, and they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who had been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go up into heaven. And so there it was from the Mount of Olives being lifted up into glory. And it's amazing the circle, that the path that took place. So he went from Gethsemane, which is kind of on the eastern side, went down and around to, to Gabbatha, which was sort of the um, southwestern side, or at least on the western side, and then he went up to Golgotha, and then just in the same area, just within a few hundred feet, 
to the grave, and then the end of his ministry on earth before he was lifted up into glory was on Gethsemane. And we know that he's going to return once again to that very same mount. And so let's be on the Mount of Scopus. Let's be on the Mount of Scopus and be watchmen. Let's be looking for his return. And just, I hope that this has been encouragement to you. I hope that it will strengthen your faith. Young people, I hope, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the side of teaching science, right? And so science is very evidence-based. And we're called to examine everything and hold fast to that which is true. And hold fast to it. And, and just, again, strengthen our faith. May our roots be firm and strong and deep into the, the word of God. And to see the evidence being played out all around us. Whether there's some camp people here, right? So I spoke a couple times at camp, you know, regarding science and, and the flood and other things, right? Do you guys remember what the acronym SPAM stands for? What's the acronym SPAM? And I had a nice big can of SPAM to help them remember. But apparently it didn't work. <laughs> SPAM. What four things can we use to kind of confirm our faith? Things that, evidence-based things. So what's S? I heard somebody whisper it. Science? P, prophecy, A, archaeology, and M, manuscripts. Awesome. So again, just again, the evidence is there, the evidence to confirm our faith, right? So let's just uh, close our time and prayer this morning. And uh, thank you again for the opportunity to share this little journey I went on with my father. Maybe before I, before I pray, close in prayer, let me just read you the note. And again, he was not a very, he didn't very have good, very, very good penmanship, so I struggle reading. I struggle reading my own notes sometimes, but that's, that's a different story. But he had Gethsemane, Gabbatha, Golgotha. And he says, he had written, the bitter hours of Gethsemane have removed the bitters of life. The scourging of Gabbatha heals. The groans and blood of Golgotha cleanses. Let's close our time in prayer this morning. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we once again just thank you and praise you. Lord, we just praise you that, um, and thank you that you have given us your word that just gives us incredible details to the event, to this hour, this amazing few hours of time where the Lord suffered at the hands of sinful men for, on our behalf. We thank you that um, he prayed and, and suffered through that anguish knowing there was no other way. And how he suffered from just knowing that he was going to be on that cross and by the placement of all our sins on him, that God the Father would forsake him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so what anguish he was going through as he was leading up to that hour. And Lord, we just thank you that he did suffer, that he poured out himself. He gave us every bit of himself. He poured out everything for us. So we're thankful. We see that in the great olive press that he went back three times and every bit of himself was poured out and emptied for us. And Lord, we just thank you that he, as he died on the cross and, and cried out, it is finished, that we were cleansed. And we thank you for the grave and, that, and the fulfilled promise that he would raise again, that he would um, come back to life. And so 
that gives us great hope and, and gives us incredible power, the power of his resurrection. And so may we just live, Lord, with the same anguish that he had for us, for others. And that we, may we be continually mindful and remember the great cost of our salvation as we approach this Christmas season. Lord, when we see the, the babe in the manger, may it be a reminder to why he came. He came to be the Passover lamb. He came to be the lamb to die in our place, that we might be covered by his blood so that the wrath of God would pass over us. And we pray these things and just thank you once again. And I just pray for all the saints here at Northgate, Lord, and we just thank you for the opportunity to be here and to fellowship with them. And we pray this in the name of our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.